Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Well, this is quite a year, isn't it? What haven't we had this year? We've had a pandemic that has to date killed over a quarter of a million Americans and some 11 million people are suffering from it in our country alone. And interestingly enough, even with that, there are people who deny that it even exists. And it has certainly changed our lives, hasn't it? My wife and I have been pretty much in quarantine since March. We hardly ever go out of the house, maybe once or twice or three times to go to the store. And otherwise, we are there. And as you can probably tell, some of us haven't even been to the barber in eight or nine months. If that weren't enough, we've had so many hurricanes this year and tropical storms that they've gone into like their fourth list of names for them and are using the Greek alphabet. We've never had a year like that. And it's an election year. I don't believe the election year caused this, but it revealed the deep fracture in our society, the deep ways that we are separated from each other. It is really a, well, a difficult year. Of course, we always think we're the only people who've ever had this sort of thing, and that's not true. You know, know, pandemics like this have happened periodically, and even in recent years. You may have noticed, if you follow the news, that in sub-Saharan Africa, they have handled the pandemic better than we have because they are more accustomed to it. They've had Ebola in recent years and things like that. So they they knew to hunker down and take care of that. And of course, these things certainly happened in Jesus' time and in the time after that. John's letter was written probably, scholars think, in the late part of the first century. Now think about what was going on then. There were fractures then too that because of the different uh, types of groups there were in Judaism... And they had this group of Christians who had broken out of Judaism. And, well, well, they didn't know quite what to make of that. And they had things like pandemics. They have not necessarily been all captured in history, but we know that they happened from time to time. And they lived in a place where it just flat out doesn't rain very much in the best of times. And they were subject to droughts that could last the extensive times. I was in uh, in Israel just two years ago, and uh, they were they, our guide told us in the twelfth year of an extended drought. Twelve years. I mean, we we would get upset after twelve days. They had famines and difficulties with feeding people. They had all the kinds of things that we have had. And it seems to me the question that comes up in, as we wrestle with 
this time, with this season, this year, is how do we live as Christians in a year like this? How do we live as Christians? How do we live as people of faith when we, are, when we see this terrible pandemic that has come across the nation, when we see this fracture in our, in our lifestyle, in our, in our society? How do we live as Christians? we're back. Let's see. Where were we? I'll start at this point. John's dealing with the the same kinds of problems we had, and he says, well, how do we deal with this? And the answer is love. Love is what we need. Love is what can solve this. And he recalls the Hebrew Scriptures, the the Old Testament as we call it, and and says, here's what we... uh, Here's a story you need to remember. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was the farmer. He grew the crops. Abel was the keeper of the sheep. It was sort of the the farmer and the cowman kind of story that's the basis of so many Westerns and including Oklahoma, the uh, the best musical ever made, because I'm from Oklahoma, I guess, the Cain and Abel story. And they take their sacrifices to God. Cain brings his grain, and he and it will burn it before God. Abel brings a lamb. God preferred Abel's sacrifice to Cain's. One of my Old Testament professors said, well, it's obvious God prefers a barbecue. Everybody likes a good barbecue. Cain was furious. So furious that he murdered Abel. 
Now, his argument really should have been with God. God's the one who made the choice, but it wasn't. And God then asked Cain, where is your brother, the keeper of the sheep? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I the keeper of the keeper? It's a rhetorical question. It's not meant to be answered because the answer was obvious to Cain. No, no. You're not, anybody would think that. Nobody would think you'd be the keeper of the keeper, your brother's keeper. The story doesn't, God doesn't exactly answer it then, although the implied answer is, yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. And that thread runs through the whole Old Testament, the entire Old Testament of you're your brother's keeper. And it's often put in this, in this kind of formula that comes up many, many, many times in the Old Testament. Look out for and care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in your land, for you are a stranger in the land of Egypt. Now, I don't believe that those are mutually exclusive categories. It's only these, and that's all we care about. No, they are the most vulnerable people. In those days, they didn't have Social Security, they didn't have pensions, they didn't have SSI, they didn't have Medicare, Medicaid, any of those things. Widows and had very few rights. Women weren't second-class citizens. They were like fifth-class citizens in, their, in that society. So taking care of widows was important if they were even going to live. Same with orphans and the stranger in your land, people coming through then without being there, uh, you know, properly and knowing this, the language, we're going to be in trouble. And so you had to take care of the stranger in your land. And that ought to be an indictment of how we live today to care for the most vulnerable people. And of course, that carries through into the, new, into the New Testament. You know this story. A lawyer comes to Jesus and says, in order, trying to trick him, says, Teacher, what's the most important commandment? Now, he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about all of them. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament, ranging from thou shalt not murder to wearing fringes on your clothes or how you cut your hair. What's the most important commandment? Now, you know, we want to kind of give the lawyer a little trouble here. I, I kind of understand lawyers. I worked with lawyers uh, extensively in my first career. I have lawyers in my family. Happens in the best of families. They want to be precise. They want it to be, he wants it to be defined. What is the greatest commandment? And the answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. We often misread that. We put in some words, at least mentally, that aren't there. It doesn't say, love your worthy neighbor or your good neighbor, your friend neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say as much as yourself. As yourself. To love somebody as yourself is in what manner do you love yourself? In what manner do you want to live? 
Jesus ratchets up the, the requirements, though. Later on, he will say, love and pray for your enemies. Or enemies? Look, I have trouble with some of my neighbors. They're not exactly people I like all the time. And now you want me to pray and love my enemies? I was serving a church in Arlington, about five miles from the Pentagon, uh, and after after 9-11, I remember a, one of my members was a, a Secret Service agent. You know those guys who they're packing heat and they're, they're standing next to the president and they're kind of doing this all the time? And the scripture reading that day was about loving our enemies. And he came up to me afterwards, and he hardly ever talked to me. He, usually just left but he came up to me afterwards he said this love you praying for your enemy stuff can i pray for for them to die no that's not what jesus had in mind it means what it says love and pray for your neighbors love and pray for your enemies one wag said once that Jesus tells us to love and pray for our neighbors and for our enemies because they are often the same people. And I got to tell you, this notion of loving and praying for people I don't like or people who may physically want to harm me or something is tough for me. It's difficult. I don't know if I can do that. Or maybe we're getting the notion of love wrong. You see, I would, I would say I th- that love may be the most misunderstood word in the English language, or at least misunderstood in biblical terms. We think of love as, it's all about emotion. You know, it's all about, well, you know, you're, you're in love and, and your, your, your palms uh, are sweating and your eyes are as big as pizzas and, uh, you know, your heart is beating and you're thinking this is this is really really great stuff man it's all emotion and we talk about it like we can't help it you know do you ever hear anybody say this i never thought that i would fall in love with fill in the blank somebody in some particular uh, way of doing things or a way of being i never thought i would I would fall in love with something like that, like we have nothing to do with it. We talk about it the same way we might say, well, I fell off the curb and sprained my ankle. I fell in love. Biblically, love is about 10% emotion and 90% deed. It's about 10% emotion and 90% action. That's what the writer of John wants to tell us. He says, don't love only in speech or word, but in deed and in truth. Love in what you do. Love is about what we can do to help other people. What is, love is about how we can reach out to others. Love is about how we can make the lives of other people at least as good as we would want our lives to be. In this time of all the weird things that we're going through, I want to suggest just a few ways that we can kind of make this practical, or at least I hope so. You will have other ideas. That's great. But we should, let's move it from the abstract to the practical. 
Here's one thing. You know, the, the writer of this tells us to, uh, that if you have goods, help those who don't. And that's what we ought to do, too. And I know that this congregation does that sort of thing. You will hear in the announcements about some of the ways that those of us who have goods can use them for other people. I know sometimes we think, well, you know, I can't really help that much. Who am I? I'm not, I'm not rich or anything. Let me tell you, we are rich. If you if have, as I do, enough to eat, we're rich. Those of us who have clean water are rich. Those of us who have safe places to live are rich. Those of us who have decent health care are rich because so many people in the world do not have any of those things. I have read that millions of people die every day of starvation. Every day. And there are people who need food right here in our own country. That's not just in sub-Saharan Africa or Asia. That's right here. And maybe even right here in our own county and our own community. Water is a resource that is many millions and millions of people don't have. Many people don't have great places to live or even minimal places to live. Yes, we can all help with those things. I know that this church does that. And I hope that you will be part of that. Maybe what we can do as one person doesn't mean amount to as much. But what we can do as a congregation and what our denomination does as a collection of hundreds of congregations can make a difference. I also think that Christians can do something. An example, if nothing else, but to help heal this fracture in our society. I'm going to make a confession to you. In the Winkler family, we have pretty much divided the world into two camps. There are people who agree with us, and there are morons. And I fear that it seems like our whole country has adopted the Winkler philosophy. And when I can stop myself from thinking that way, I look out and I think, you know, some of these people who I may think they're morons, politically, some of them are pretty smart, and many of them are really kind, decent people. They're people, if I can keep the conversation from getting too political, I really like being around. Maybe I ought to remember that. And maybe instead of seeing those tiny things that divide us, we ought to see what brings us together. Is looking for the betterment of all people, is that not something that we all agree on? We just don't necessarily agree on the methods of that. And in here in this year, 2020, probably if we had not had the COVID-19, this denomination that I am, you know, 
many, many generations in this denomination, generations of preachers in this denomination. It hurts my heart to say that we might have split had we not had COVID come along. And I look at some of the people who are on different sides of that, uh, say different sides than I am, and I think, I know some of these folks. They have integrity. They are intelligence. They read the Bible as often as I do and come up with some different conclusions. And I see what they think, and I I believe, you know, we change about two sentences in that, and I could agree with everything you're saying. Is that really necessary that we have to split over that? Is it really necessary for our country to be as split as we are? I believe that we Christians, if we made the effort to reach out, to understand, to look for what we have in common instead of what separates us, then we would have a country that would be much closer to coming together. If we all had just a little humility that could say, well, maybe I'm not the genius and they're the morons on everything. And I believe that all of us can do something about COVID. Oh, we're not scientists. I, I'm not an immunologist. I can't fix that. But there are things we can do. You know, I've spent so much time um, uh, at home without going out. Uh, I have plenty to do. I enjoy sitting around in sweatpants all day. But it can be very isolating for older people who do not want to go out. It can be very isolating, and they feel that isolation. And that isolation may be as, as dangerous to their health as that little germ. If you know somebody like that, call them. Connect. That's one of the ways that we can, we can help. Connect with people. Talk to them take some Thanksgiving dinner and leave it on the doorstep. Those are ways that we can be healers, really, in a situation like this. And part of our living out our love is to protect other people. Wear your mask. Keep your social distance. Wash your hands. Those are ways that we can love our neighbors. I wear the mask anytime I go out and I try to maintain the social distancing. I don't want to get the disease. But I would feel even worse, I believe, if I thought I was in the chain of transmitting it to somebody else. So I'm quite easily able to forget any ideas about what's my freedom or what's my right And to think of what's my responsibility, what is my way of showing love as a Christian. And it is to help other people not get the disease. And where I can to help end isolation, I'll do that. You see, the mistake we make when we talk about living out our love is we think it's all emotion. It's all about feeling good. No, it's about what we do to better the lives of those around us, what we do to better the lives even of those who might want to harm us and who we might think of as enemies, that love can be the solution to this. There's an Israeli author, Aharon Appelfeld. It's a great name. But he wrote, 
without great love, we diminish the Creator's world. Without great love, we diminish the Creator's world. But I'm convinced that with great love, we help build the kingdom. Today is Christ the King Sunday in, in uh, the liturgical calendar where we celebrate. When we say Jesus is king, it's not king in a normal way, but the kingdom of God, which is what he preached constantly. A theologian named Dallas Willard finally gave me an answer that I could understand about what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being done. So it's not just off in heaven. It's not just in the future. That can be right here. Wherever God's will is being done, and where God's will is being done, we do it out of love of God and love of neighbor. Love can be the answer, and we can live out our love when we seek out to take care of our neighbors, when we seek out to break the the things that have split us apart, and when we seek out to help those who need it, whether it's needing something to eat or not getting a germ. And we don't do it alone. We have a congregation to support us. We have a denomination to support us. We have the Spirit of Christ walking with us, nudging us along, sometimes pulling us along, sometimes putting us back on the road. Love is the answer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.